Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we take a populist approach to cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including a new brand coming to Australia. Hyundai is now selling a hydrogen fuel vehicle. There's a re-release of the Renault Capture and a Chinese survey of sort of autonomous vehicles. And we have three interesting interviews. Paul Morell gives us the background on Volkswagen's new brand destined for the Australian market. Alan Zervis has a rundown on the latest Tesla Model 3. And Doug Spencer-Roy and I discuss the value and impact of sculpture on the side of motorways. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. And there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So now let's get the program going. Let's start with the news. There are over 50 different car brands on sale in Australia. We have more brand choices than even the United States. But when is too many brands not enough? Volkswagen thinks we could do with one more. They plan to launch their Cupra brand onto the Australian market in 2022 as a springboard into the Asian Pacific region. Cupra says that Australia is a good target because it has a high middle class income and it is a progressive society. Cupra, which is headquartered in Barcelona, Spain, has been a brand for only three years. They are basing their image on performance and new technology that will include plug-in hybrids and all-electric vehicles. One of their first vehicles destined for Australia is the unusually named Formentor, an SUV coupe and the first model uniquely designed and developed for the brand. Hyundai continues to lead the race for innovation in Australia with the introduction of environmental vehicles. Their Nexo fuel cell electric vehicle is now certified for sale here and is available by special order with servicing and maintenance as part of an all-inclusive loan package. A fuel cell vehicle is powered by an electric engine but instead of relying on a large battery, its energy source is hydrogen. When hydrogen is combined with oxygen through the fuel cell process, it emits an electric charge that can be used to power the motor. The resultant byproduct is water. The Nexo has a rated range of 666 kilometres with a 120 kilowatt and 395 newton meter electric motor drive. The technology is likely to be used initially for vehicles with a well-defined function, such as Sydney to Melbourne for trucks or for urban fleets that return to a depot every day. Renault is returning to the small SUV market in Australia with a re-release of their Capture crossover vehicle. The first generation was initially marketed in France in 2013 and came to Australia in 2016. It was subsequently pulled from our market. The new generation vehicle boasts high levels of comfort and safety and comes with some interesting features. It has an all-new smart cockpit with a 9.3 portrait information screen, which means it's taller than it is wide. And not just folding, but a sliding rear bench for good versatility, a 7-speed dual-clutch transmission and a 5-year unlimited kilometre warranty. Renault makes only a brief reference to its new engine, which is of 1.3 litres capacity. 
but prices have increased. The entry-level life model starts at just over $28,000, and the top-of-the-line Intens is a bit under $36,000, and to all prices, you have to add on-road costs. Chinese electric vehicle manufacturer has released results from surveys of customer cars in what they claim to be China's longest real highway autonomous driving challenge undertaken by mass-produced vehicles. But it is not full autonomy. Their navigation-guided pilot function is automatic navigation-assisted driving and is available only on Chinese highways covered by high-precision maps. Recently, over 25 days, automatic lane-changing and overtaking manoeuvres were conducted over 131,000 times and automatic highway ramp-entering and exiting manoeuvres were conducted nearly 106,000 times. The total distance covered by vehicles was over 1 million kilometres. Reports say that the success rate for lane-changing and overtaking was between 86 and 98%. The highway ramp entering and exiting success rate ranged from 84% to 97%. That means that drivers had to intervene on many occasions, so we are still a long way from full autonomy. And that has been the news. Australia has one of the most competitive markets for cars in the world. We have more brands here than are on sale in America. When is too many brands not enough? Paul, I believe Volkswagen's thinking of going one step further in terms of brands. Yes, indeed. Funnily enough, David, Volkswagen, who already seems to have a a plethora of brands under its umbrella, is now deciding to introduce yet another one, the Cupra. It does, as you say, have many brands. It's got Volkswagen, it's got Skoda, which are very similar cars. Uh, it had Sayat, spelt Seat, S-E-A-T, that was in Australia. That wasn't here for long, was it? No, that was here in the 90s, um, Sayat being a Spanish brand. Unfortunately, at the time, it wasn't It wasn't under the, um, the Volkswagen umbrella at the time. It was actually being handled by a different distributor, and they tried for about five years to get traction in the market and finally admitted defeat and slunk away with their tails between their legs. The Cupra is, or was up until 2018, a sub-brand of Sayat, and now it's been set up in 2018 as a, as a separate and independent brand, supposedly a performance brand, although they're also bringing out a number of electric vehicles. It's a really strange decision that I honestly don't understand. Volkswagen's name was sullied a little with the diesel gate, although it seems to have survived that remarkably well. It still does have a bit of a reputation for difficulties with reliability. Is a different brand name a way of trying to avoid not everybody? They're not getting away, losing Volkswagen, but maybe just capturing other people with a different image, be it performance or electric vehicles? Well, as I said, I struggle to understand the marketing uh, logic behind this. Um, I mean, Skoda itself has not really proven to be, you know, it hasn't set the world on fire in Australia, as, as most people would know. Um, I mean, initially, Skodas were sold in showrooms sort of next to Volkswagens. Um, the Volkswagen group decided that wasn't the way to go, and they created a, an independent, standalone, dedicated dealership network for Skoda. Now, of course, 
we have to ask the question, will they do the same thing for Cupra? Will Cupra now have a dedicated standalone dealer network with a dedicated standalone service network and a dedicated standalone spare parts network, which is a very, very expensive exercise for a car that probably will only ever be a niche market car at the best. I don't, I, as I said, I'm just confused with the whole thing and we probably don't have enough information to work out how they're going to do it and what they're going to do with it. Cupra, spelled C-U-P-R-A, also has a model called the Cupra Formentor. It sounds like the evil people out of Harry Potter. <laughs> Let's hope it isn't for Volkswagen's sake. Yes, Formentor, which is a really strange name as well, is the first model that actually is unique to the Cupra. Up until now, all the Cupra models, in fact, were variants of um, Sayat models, like the Leon and the... And the um, um, the Atika, or the, whatever it's called, yes, the Atika. So the Formenta, which is the first car we're going to get from Cupra in Australia, it's a sort of performance SUV, which in itself is a, an oxymoron. It will be the first one we get, but it's also the first model that was developed specifically for Cupra. There's a rumour out that Volkswagen is even thinking about changing its name from Volks, as in people's wagon, to Volts, V-O-L-T-S, as in Electric, I think it might be a somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but maybe that's part of the rebranding away from Dieselgate. <laughs> I hope it is an urban myth, that one. But that's, that's just, let's, let's throw out all our heritage that goes back to like 1930, 38 or whatever it was, 36, change the name. I mean, they've just, changed, they've just undergone a, a logo change like so many other car companies in what they call the Slimline logo. And I drove a Volkswagen T-Rock last week which was the first new the first Volkswagen I've driven with the new logo <laughs> you know this change for the sake of change doesn't impress doesn't impress the, the market or customers and certainly I think customers Australian customers are certainly more savvy than that they'll, they know that the Skoda is just a Volkswagen they're not quite so aware that you know Audis are again Volkswagens in party dresses but there will be no <laughs> doubt in their minds that the Cupra is just another version of the Volkswagen. It's built on the same platform. It's running the same engines. You mentioned that they've got a new logo. It's slimmed down. Given our previous conversation about the increasing size of uh, people, particularly in wit, <laughs> perhaps a slimmed down version is something that makes you feel good rather than the reality. A psychological improvement, perhaps. <laughs> and on that subject, I must admit that a Though I was incredibly critical of the Kia logo the last time we spoke, I do like their new their new theme, which is movement that inspires. Okay, that's very clever. They're just that's an aside. At least I understand that. There's a whole pile of marketing buzzwords created, almost like uh, the political party did with incentivation or something. That that says a modern trendy thing. At least I understand that. Mm. Well, lovely to talk to you. I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. And that was Paul Morell from Senior Driver AUS, Oz, one word, dot com. He covers, I think, some very practical aspects of motoring. This is Overdrive across Australia. Toyota launched its stunning 200-kilowatt GA Yaris in November 2020 a pure performance car with deep motorsport roots. The new super hot hatch is already a sales success, with the first run completely sold out with some special drive-away pricing. 
GA Yaris performance comes from a new 200-kilowatt, 370-newton-metre, 1.6-litre turbocharged three-cylinder petrol engine, along with an all-new platform, unique three-door body, aerodynamic styling and a new GR4 permanent all-wheel drive system, the GA Yaris has an impressive power-to-weight ratio of 156 kilowatts per tonne, sprints from 0 to 105.2 seconds. Driving the GA Yaris is an experience, it has a fairly heavy clutch as you would expect, but it also seems to have an abundance of power available in all gears, and seems to scream at the driver to go and go faster. In a world that is increasingly homogenised with boring cars, the GA Yaris, priced from $49,500 plus usual costs, oozes personality and is a welcome breath of fresh air for the true motoring enthusiasts. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, we've been out uh, having a little bit of a tootle around in the uh, Tesla Model 3. Now, it is just a bit of a makeover in that regard. And to tell us a little bit about what that means, we have our good friend from Gay Car Boys, Alan Zervis. G'day, Alan. How are you, David? I'm pretty fit, pretty fit. And I've got to say, I enjoyed driving the Tesla. It's a, a unique experience. Uh, all electric cars have a very strange, almost ethereal feel about them. They're, there's a uh, an instant feel to their acceleration, and you don't need to use the brake pedal very much because they've got uh, that engine braking. But I think Tesla, they've been very clever about their marketing and they've also been very clever about the infrastructure around the car so it's a little bit like an apple iphone you're not just buying the end product you're also buying into the infrastructure itself so the charging and the fact that you can get tesla to open your car and uh, locate your car for you if for some reason you get disconnected from the app uh, as we both did you can get it to do all sorts of things we had the Model 3 with the two motors, so an electric motor driving the front wheels and one driving the back wheels, and it was at the time when there was the torrential downpours down the east coast of Australia. I never lost traction. I had a stunning acceleration, but I never lost traction. Now, I can't say that for most other vehicles, albeit most of them tend to be two-wheel drive, but... I was amazed by that very fact. Me too. I'll say this about the graphics, Alan, that it wasn't graphics for graphics' sake. I thought they were quite distinct and clear and not that over-the-top design by someone who understands esoteric symbols and colours and and other shapes and that. It, It really was functional in that regard, albeit you had to think and learn a little bit of some of what where to look and how to operate it. Exactly right, although I think you and I both agreed that the camera symbol was just ridiculous. It was a couple of little circles instead of a little graphic of a camera. Yeah. But also the, the wipers, you know, very all of the functions are subsumed within this one LCD screen. And it took me a while to find the hazard flasher, which is up on the ceiling, and the single swipe for the wipers, which is on the end of the stalk. I think it needs a heads-up display, which wouldn't take all that much doing, just to get something, even if it's just your speed, in front of the driver. And I think that would be also handy when it comes to navigation instructions. One of the things it does is that it shows on the big screen all the vehicles around your car that it's picking up. And I think that's very important for reinforcing a confidence 
that as we move towards semi-autonomous vehicles and maybe even autonomous vehicles, there's not a black box you're trusting in. You can see what it's doing. So if you're driving down a multi-lane road, it'll show you the cars and the trucks in the lane beside you, ahead of you and on the right-hand side, maybe even going in the opposite direction across the road if you're close to it. But that's a confidence-building move, in my, in my opinion. Uh, well, I think uh, we were both amazed when we stopped at a set of lights. We could see the people walking either side of the car as well in that same graphic, uh, a motorbike if it was a motorbike, and the traffic lights. It also recognised the fact that there were traffic lights ahead and that they were red, and when the lights went green, the graphic went green as well. Stop signs, markings on the road for a bikeway, for example, it starts to show, and as I say, gives you confidence. The only thing I do say, Alan, is... It doesn't give nearly that sort of clarity if there's no line markings on the road. I drove it around some quiet residential streets at very slow speeds and it wasn't picking up the parked cars and that nearly as well, if at all in some instances, because it didn't get into the mould of here I am in a lane, so therefore to the left must be cars. And so I think that shows that we're, we're heading towards semi-autonomy if I drive down a motorway, it might well be able to look after it. But I, we're still, to my mind, a long way away from anywhere, anytime, total autonomy. Well, I've been driving Teslas on and off for quite some time, and I've seen improvements in the software. And I think that's the important thing about a Tesla, is that it will update itself. So as new things become available, provided it's got the hardware, cameras and uh, sensors, radars and other things it will be able to do that in due course. Yes, there's no question that we are moving in that direction. I'm just not quite sure of the timetable yet. But I've got to say, people turn their heads. And we talked about symbols. I sat in the sun in it, and he noticed that how much charge you have in your battery was exactly the same symbol as on an iPhone. And so he had an immediate understanding and an engagement with it. That is something that, the Tesla is totally different in the sense of a big screen with everything working off the screen, yet you can still use commonality to give you a sense of security. Well, I think the important thing is that because you mentioned the iPhone similarity, the screen, although it doesn't look like an iPhone, it feels like an iPhone. So anyone that's used a, a, a smartphone or a tablet or any kind of sensitive screen I think they'll find this familiar and you'll quickly find your way around the the menu systems. Nothing is more than a couple of taps away. Yet a couple of taps. If I want to change from slow windscreen wipers to more frequent windscreen wipers, I've got to do two taps on the screen to take it away. You're right. We only noticed that I could do one quick uh, once across the screen clean and the washers by pushing a button on the end of the stalk. That's a great idea. I would have preferred all windscreen wiper control to be on the stalk rather than for some of them having to go to a two-stage function on the screen i agree i agree i think there are some things that should not be in a menu and the speed directions for sat nav and the wipers i think are just one of them also the lights there's no light switch that's also in a menu alan always lovely to talk to you thank you very much thanks david for having me
And that is Alan Service from Gay Cowboys, who comes and gives us his opinion from his own perspective and I think a very practical, earthy sort of approach that lets us understand what we can evolve into, not just what is an instantaneous reaction. This is Overdrive across Australia. Kia Stonic joins an already impressive SUV lineup for Kia in Australia. A purely urban-based front-wheel drive SUV, the Stonic comes with a plethora of safety features, class-leading connectivity, as well as having its ride and handling retuned for the Australian market. The top of the range is the GT line. It comes with a 1-litre turbo petrol engine, produces 74 kilowatts and 172 newton metres, driving the front wheels through a 7-speed DCT. In addition, it gets sports suspension tuning, 17-inch alloys, a different body package, LED headlights, two-tone colour, cloth and artificial leather seats, climate-controlled air conditioning, privacy glass and electrochromatic mirror. Driving the Stonic around town, you can see why it will be popular. It's comfortable with lots of standard features and adequate ride around our bumpy suburban streets. Kia has entered an ultra-competitive segment, the urban two-wheel drive SUV, with a competitive model and the GT line priced from $29,990 drive away is a good price. You're listening to Overdrive. Is art a great way to enhance a motorway as it cuts through an area? The Melbourne East Link motorway has four huge artworks along the toll road and eight smaller sculptures along the East Link Trail shared use bike path. East Link's art collection cost $5 million shortly before it opened in 2008, but like all things to do with the road, you need to provide maintenance. What's happening down there, we're fortunate to have online. Doug Spencer Roy, Corporate Affairs and Marketing Manager for East Link. Good day, Doug. Hello, David. Um, thank you very much for inviting me on the program. Well, it's a lovely subject, isn't it? Because Melbourne has had a bit of a history of putting significant sculptures, works of art, along major roads. As one comes in from the airport, there's a big yellow oblong piece of shape that comes out there. It's certainly distinctive. It's, is that part of Melbourne? Absolutely, yes. It goes back to earlier motorways um, compared to East Link. So you mentioned the, the that's actually nicknamed the cheese stick <laughs> on CityLink. Um, obviously, East Link has its own artwork collection that we'll talk about. And then after that, the more recent Peninsula Link has a, an, its own art program, which is uh, quite interesting. And I can explain a little bit about that too. Um, so yes, um, public artworks are definitely part of Melbourne's culture and in fact one of our artworks um, which is called Public Art Strategy references some of those other artworks from around Melbourne so it's quite an interesting topic. I think the fact that it's got a nickname, the cheese stick, is a reflection of the fact that it's had an impact. I like that. Absolutely. I think the artworks are generally well loved, um, sometimes a little bit controversial which is good because um, that, that's art. And it's also good to see that uh, motorists have their own favourites, their own personal favourites, and everyone doesn't just like the same artwork. Eastlink, is Eastlink private or is it a, a government initiative? Eastlink is um, in Melbourne. It's down the east side of Melbourne, and it's a 39-kilometre long tollway. So Connect East, which is the company behind Eastlink, uh, won the tender from the Victorian government to build, own, and now operate Eastlink. And we opened Eastlink back in 2008. And all of the artworks that uh, we'll talk about on Eastlink were either commissioned or acquired 
um, during that construction process. So they were all up and installed in their current positions uh, when the Eastlink opened in uh, 2008. And paid for by the private company? Uh, That's correct, yes. Public art strategy, what's that? Okay, so public art strategy is a very big bird. People often call it the bird or the Eastlink bird. And in fact, it's it's a big black bird uh, with a yellow worm, almost like a cubist worm. And that yellow worm is referencing the cheese stick that we talked about before. So the, I guess the, the black bird is ominously contemplating whether or not to eat the cheese stick. <laughs> That's how I, I see it anyway. Um, but, um, you know, these are, this is a 13 meter high bird made of metal. So it's, it's a very big, um, structure. And um, therefore, it's you know standing out in the open. Um, there was a little bit of rust damage over the years, so we had to get in and correct that. Also, the paint in some areas had faded. Um, we find with artwork sometimes there might be graffiti attacks on a piece of art, so that needs to be addressed. And you know, over a period of time, you know the chemicals that are used. When I was a young lad, we used to keep our eye out for the mileposts. That was our way of keeping, my parents' way of keeping kids active or alert or playing within a car. Do you think that we could make more use of perhaps having artworks along the way? And perhaps even we see those huge artworks on the side of silos. Mm -hmm. Is the, the road a good museum place for this sort of stuff? We certainly consider Eastlink to be, um, probably Australia's largest sculpture park. So I think I think that it, it is important to look at it from that context, that as you drive along a motorway, um, having things like artworks to look at as you drive along, even as a driver, as long as it's not too distracting, it does help you stay engaged with the driving task. And also the artworks and other distinguishing features become waypoints. They, they become... Um, helpful if you're explaining a route to someone or even as cues for you as you as you're maybe doing your regular journey that you're actually coming up to the uh, the exit that you normally get off at so um, these things not just artworks but other features as well maybe grassy mounds or stands of trees um, public architecture like noise wall panels or uh, pedestrian bridges that are uh, styled in a particularly attractive way. These are all very, very helpful to the motorist. Finally then, has this created some interactions with, say, art museums or schools, a discussion point that has uh, been part of that interaction? One of the things that we do as part of our overall social sustainability initiatives is we we are actually involved in other forms of arts as well. So, for example, we are a sponsor of the Frankston Art Centre, which is a a major regional theatre at the south end of Eastlink. So it shouldn't really be seen in isolation. It's not just about the artworks alone, but there are many other things that we do. And these are parts of the, the overall Eastlink landscaping. Um, which we look after. So we see it sort of a, as it's, it's not just the art, it's the art plus the landscaping, uh, plus the wetlands, plus the Eastlink Trail, um, plus the architecture that we have. And it's a, it's a combined package. Um, and it's, it's very, very important to the local community that they have a, a, such a high quality piece of infrastructure. I think it's a lovely idea and one that takes it out of just another bit of black road that was an expression used when I was a young traffic engineer 
that uh, was conde- was condemning a local bypass. A bypass was a great idea, I thought, but they they thought it was just another bit of black road. Whereas I think it really has a functional role, but also an impact of defining the community. Doug, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And that's Doug Spencer-Roy, who is the Corporate Affairs and Marketing Manager for Eastlink, a private company that has uh, the building and control of a major road in Melbourne. And they've not just built a black bit of road, they've actually added some artistic merit to it as well. Do you have an opinion about art beside roadways? Send it to feedback at drivenmedia.com.au and the full interview with Doug can be heard on our website where he touches on even some more examples of the sort of art that they have beside Eastling. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Doug Spencer-Roy, Paul Morell, Alan Zervis and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or, of course, there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.